We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Let us open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. And we're going to continue where we left off two weeks ago. Because last week we had the virtual uh, message, kind of a review of we have, what we have covered so far in the book of Hebrews. And this morning we're going to continue. We're talking about the deity and superiority of Christ. We said that he is superior of a superior nature and he is superior to the prophets. We see that he is the spokesman of the Father and he is the heir of the Father's creation. He is creator of the ages the agent of creation and we said that he is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of the Father's person and Christ we said is the sustainer of all things and that's where we left off today we are going to be speaking about two more things in this section and the first one is that Christ is the Savior and the Redeemer of His people. He is the Savior and Redeemer of His people. Because we are told in our text, if you open in Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 3, the last part of verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, that when he had by himself purged our sins. Purged our sins. In the Greek language it says cleansed or washed our sins. Okay? So um, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Redeemer of his people. Redeemer means he bought us. He purchased us out of the slave market, never to be placed there anymore. Jesus Christ not only is the Son of God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, and the superior prophet, he's also the redeemer of his people because he purged our sins. And he's also priest, our high priest. For the wording used here denotes just that. He had by himself purged our sins. Okay? He had by himself. He didn't purge our sins by somebody else or something else. He purged them by himself. So he is priest and sacrifice. And uh, this will be fully explained later on uh, when we come to those uh, verses in, other, in, in, uh, in the uh, future chapters. Uh, and it is the first mention here uh, in the book of the priestly work of Christ. We're going to be talking a lot more about his priestly work later on. But this is the first mention. And this cleansing is unique. 
And that's why in the book of Acts, it tells us, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. If only He is the one who uh, is unique, and He's the only one that cleansed us our sins. No, no one else could have done it. Uh, it is an inward cleansing, and not only it's inward, but it is, it is also complete. That's why at the cross, the Lord exclaimed, right before he gave up the, the spirit, he said, it is finished. Why? Because the work of redemption is complete. It's done. We cannot add anything to it, and we certainly cannot take anything away from it, neither should we want to. It is done once and for all time. And as we shall see later, as I said in the book. So Christ is the Savior, the Redeemer of His people. And also, the last phrase of, of uh, verse 3, it tells us that He is exalted to the right hand of the Father. Okay, after He had by Himself purged our sins, it says there, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Okay? So this is the last thing that we see here in this section about the Lord Jesus Christ. That He has been exalted to the right hand of God the Father. That is, He reigns sovereignly as King. Now, notice that it says there, He sat down. That is very important. He sat down. What is so important about sitting down? Well, uh, it emphasizes his finished work. When you finish your work, what do you do? If you're cleaning the house and you're cooking, or you, know, you finish all the work, what do you do? Sit down. It's done. It's over. Okay? And that, that is why in, later on in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews... We are, we are given the same idea, the same thought. That's one of the key verses of the epistle. It says that by that will we have been sanctified through the offering. I'm sorry, they're reading the wrong verse. But this man, meaning Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Now that is so important because... Uh, this is a uh, formal and dignified act. Christ resumed his former place of dignity in glory. Now, if you remember, when the Lord Jesus Christ was about to go to the cross, that same night in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed the priestly prayer. And he prayed to the Father, and he says, And now, O Father, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So what did the Lord do after he did all his work? He returned to the place he came from. He returned there and sat. And the fact that he sat down at the right hand of God emphasizes his position as the Messiah King, having absolute authority before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2. And not only the, uh, the Apostle Paul, but also the Apostle Peter, in his first epistle, in chapter 3, 
tells us something very similar. He says, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. This proves that he is equal with the Father. No mere created man or angel could, have, who could ever sit at the right hand of God. If we uh, took a trip to England, you can rest assured that you and I could not sit on the throne of Queen Elizabeth. That is reserved only for the heir to the throne. Nobody else could do that. That would be usurping power that is not ours. Well, that, o- that is only an earthly kingdom, an earthly throne. We're talking about the throne of the universe. And we are seeing here that the Lord Jesus Christ sat on the throne. And I'm going to mention this later on, but just now I want to tell you one thing. The fact that he sat down tells us that his work is finished. When you look at the Old Testament, the priests that went inside to minister, they never sat down. There were never any chairs or seats inside the tabernacle or the temple. Why? Because their work was never done. They were all the time sacrificing animals. All the time. All the time. For centuries they did that. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ sat down means that his work is finished. We cannot add anything to it. Okay? So we see that he's superior in his nature, and he's also superior to the prophets. Now we come to verse 4. We're making a lot of progress here. Okay? In this section here, that goes from verse 4 to the end of the chapter, we see that he is superior to the angels. That's why it says in verse uh, 4, of, uh, of chapter 1, it says, Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, having shown that the Son is superior to the prophets, the writer now goes on to show that he is superior to the angels as well. Angels were very important in Judaism. They had assisted in giving the law of Moses to the nation of Israel at Sinai, according to Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. Now, in Deuteronomy 33, verse 2, we read the following. It says... This is uh, the Moses, uh, Moses' final blessing to Israel right before he, the Lord took him. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Zaire. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with 10,000 of saints. Now, the word saints there should be angels. Okay, it's talking about angels. We see the same thing when Stephen, in the book of Acts, chapter 7, about to be martyred, is preaching to the nation of Israel and rebuking them for their unbelief. And he uses from the Old Testament. He says, 
the nation of Israel, he says, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Okay? They received the law by the direction of angels and they have not kept it. The Apostle Paul, a Jew, writes to the Galatian believers in Galatians 3.19 and he says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed, and that's with a capital S meaning Christ, should come to whom the promise was made and he was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator, the mediator being Moses. So we see that the angels were important in Judaism because they're the ones, the means by what, which the Lord um, gave the law to, through Moses to the nation of Israel. Now because the Son is God and not just man, He is superior to angels. And no matter how high angels are or might be, the Son is always better. There's no question that He is superior in His deity. Okay? But even when he became man, he is still superior to angels. That is why the text expresses this emphatically. It says, having become so much better than the angels. Having become so much better than the angels. What did Jesus become? Did he become God or did he become man? He became man. He didn't become God. He was always God. Okay? You see how important it is to pay attention to the words and think them through. Okay? Uh, the Word of God is inspired in the minutest details. He became man. Never, he, never he, did he become God. He was always God. Okay? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with? God. And the Word was? God. He was always in the beginning with God. He never needed to become God. He was always God. So we see that having become, it says, so much better than the angels. He became man, he be, not, not God, and he always was, and is, and shall be God. And therefore, even becoming man, he is still superior to angels. Even as man, he was superior to angels. Also, the Greek word makes more than clear that he was not made. What does it say here that we read in uh, our text in Hebrews 1.4? It says, having become so much better than the angels... The Greek word makes it more than clear that he was not made. He was not made. The word used is to be in the Greek, which means having become. Having become. When God the Son became man in the person of Jesus Christ, he became a little lower than the angels. Okay. as we are going to be told in next chapter, verse 9. But when he ascended back to heaven as the resurrected man, the perfect man, he became better than the angels again. As God, 
He always was better. No question about it. When he became man, he was a little lower than the angels, but when he ascended back to heaven as the exalted man, he became once more better than the angels. Now, is that scriptural? Of course it is. It's in Psalm uh, 2. Okay? And we're going to see that. Then he received from God the Father a more excellent name than the angels. And this is the name that no one knows except himself. When you read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 12, where he comes riding the white horse, and he says, and on his thigh is written the word of God. And he has a name that no one knows but himself. That ought to arouse our curiosity a little bit, right? What is the name? But also the Apostle Paul states that he even now has a name which is above every name. The name, what's the name? Jesus. Philippians 2.9, he tells us that that name is higher than any other name. In heaven, on earth, or under the earth. Than the name of Jesus, there's no higher name than that. Okay? Having stated that the Son is superior to angels, the writer now uses seven citations from the Old Testament. In the rest of this entire section, to prove his superiority over the angels. And we come to verse 5 of chapter 1 of Hebrews. <laughs> it says in verse 5, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The first citation we find is from Psalm 2, verse 7. That's the first messianic psalm. Where it says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now what does that mean? Some Jehovah's Witnesses might say, see, he was born. No, he was made. No, he wasn't made. Okay. It does not emphasize birth or origin. That word in the Greek does not emphasize birth or origin. Because from eternity, Jesus was God the Son, and He always had that relationship with the Father. But then, He humbled Himself and became man. In Philippians chapter 2, and in verse, verses 5 and 6, we read, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. When was he in the form of God? In eternity past. He was always God. Now being in that form, it says here, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He became man to die and resurrect from the dead. Now, in his resurrection, he glorified that humanity received from the Father, and the Father glorified him again. And that is what he prayed for in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we saw before in... Uh, 
uh, in the Gospel of John and in chapter uh, 17, where it says that Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that you, your son also may glorify you. Why did he have to glorify the son? Because the son is in a humble state. He's a man right now, right? Did he glorify the father? Sure. How? By obeying him, dying on the cross, and resurrecting from the dead. The father glorified him. And he glorified the father through his obedience, by his obedience. Because he proved who he was. Not just mere man. Then further on in that chapter, it says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. His resurrection declared him to be the Son of God. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul tells the believers in Rome, where it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, and declare to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection from the dead proved that He is the Son of God. Because nobody else ever resurrected. Yet. He said, but He resurrected some people. Yep, but they died again later on. He rose from the dead, never to die again. The one thing we can be sure of, number one, Jesus Christ will never come again to be born of a virgin. Jesus Christ will never again have to die on the cross. And Jesus Christ never again will have to resurrect. That's a one for all time accomplishment. So we see here that he is his resurrection declared him to be the Son of God. He was always the Son of God, but his resurrection declared him to be the Son of God without any doubt about it. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he's preaching in his first recorded sermon in the book of Acts, which is Acts, <coughs> excuse me, chapter 13, he's preaching in the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, not Antioch of Syria, okay? And in chapter 13, verse 33, the Apostle Paul, who is speaking to a Jewish audience because he's in the synagogue, he says, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, <clears throat> in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second song. See, the Apostle Paul is quoting scripture here, quoting that same song, the second song. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Paul explains this all-important statement. When the Father says, You are my Son, this day I have begotten you, what does it mean? It means that He resurrected Him from the dead. The man Christ Jesus. Though angels are called sons of God in the Old Testament, <clears throat> they are called so collectively as a group. Not individually. Believers too are called sons of God because of the adoption that we have as sons. But only Jesus is called the 
Son of God in that his relationship to the Father is unique. Nobody else has that kind of relationship. Okay? Neither angels nor men have this kind of relationship with the Father. And we see this in the New Testament. When his birth was announced. Right from the very beginning, when his birth was announced by the archangel uh, Gabriel, it says, And the angel answered and said to her, to Mary, that is, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And Paul also, the apostle, points out the fact that Jesus is declared Son of God because of his resurrection, as we saw in Romans 1.4. Now, going back to our, our text in Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. That's from Psalm 2, verse 7. And then again, it says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, this quotation is from 2 Samuel 7.14. This refers to the kingdom of David, or the Davidic kingdom. God promised to David that he would have an heir and forever on the throne, which this has not been fulfilled yet. Uh, the Davidic covenant emphasizes that he is the fulfiller of the covenant, which says that the God-man, the Messiah Jesus, the descendant of David, will rule over restored Israel from Jerusalem and from, specifically, the throne of David. Open with me one second to your, in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. A very familiar verse, the first one. <clears throat> That we always hear at Christmas time. Chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah, and then verse 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall, will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forth, or from this time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, one thing you must always remember about prophecy. If God fulfilled all the prophecies that had to do with the first coming of Christ in the past, fulfilled every one of them, you can rest more than assured that he's going to fulfill all the prophecies that have to do with the Messiah in the future. Yesterday I was looking in my phone because I don't, I don't watch the news anymore and I have by your information I forgot to announce the announce it last Sunday 
I am saved now. I'm no longer on Facebook. So don't bother sending me any messages because I don't see them. I'm not on Facebook anymore. I finally got out of it, and my sister got out of it, and her husband got out of it because of their unfair and biased ways of doing things. Okay? You can't say anything that they don't like or they don't agree with. They kick you out. So you know what? I'll kick them out. But I can still see the news, and uh, I go on YouTube, and I see some things. And yesterday, <clears throat> you won't believe this, the last three days, there was an earthquake in Turkey. There was an earthquake in India. There was an earthquake in Tajikistan. There was an earthquake in Japan, 7.3. There was an earthquake in New Caledonia, right off the island of Vanuatu in the South Pacific. There was an earthquake in Ecuador. There was an earthquake in Oregon. And Mount Etna is erupting in Sicily. Two or three volcanoes in Japan are erupted. And about three or four volcanoes in Indonesia, which has 129 active volcanoes, have also erupted. Do you think Jesus is near? Didn't he say that in the last days there will be earthquakes? There will be wars? There will be pestilence? We had to close our church so many Sundays because of COVID. And last Sunday we closed it because of snowvid. And some people are afraid, cowering away. I don't understand. I don't understand. Please, somebody explain it to me because I don't understand. Are you saved? I know you are because you're here. <laughs> but I'm talking in general. You're saved. Get out of your houses and come to church. Even the unsaved courts are ruling in favor of the houses of worship, saying to the, the governor in New York, treat the churches fairly as any other business. They are allowed to have 50% capacity, not just 10 people per service. This is the third time it happened. So what are you afraid of? People go to work every day, don't they? Why can't they go to work and can't come to church? No comprende. Now, I don't want to get off the subject, but, you know, we're talking about the last days. The Lord is going to fulfill every one of his promises. And he still has the whole world in his hands. Some people act as if though they were out, away from his hands. You can't get away from God. Remember what David said, where shall I go to flee from your presence? Shall I go to the highest mountain? You're there. Shall I go to the deepest part of the sea? You're there. Shall I rise up and fly, soar up to, to heights? You're there. And even if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So what are you afraid of? People, come to church. Come to church. He may come today, may come tomorrow. What are you going to tell them? 
I'm amazed how people love their skin. In Spanish, we say, aman el pellejo, more than they love God. What are you afraid of? The worst thing that can happen to you is you'll die. And then you go to heaven if you're saved. Amen? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. No wonder the Lord called us sheep. We're dumb. Huh? So, what a verse this is. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Thank the Lord for that day. There will be peace forever. Not a shaky, false peace the world tries to give us. What did the Lord say the last night he was with his disciples in the upper room? My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. Amen? How many people have died from COVID in our church? Nobody. Few people got sick, they got, they got over it. The Lord has protected us, and they still don't believe. And it says here that he will rule upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order, order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Now, open also to the book of Jeremiah, next prophecy over, chapter 23. Verse 5, Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Who says this? Who says it? The Lord. So if he says it, is it true? You better believe it. You better believe it. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king, and it's with a capital K, shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Or as in Hebrew, Yahweh Tzitkenu. The Lord our righteousness. We know who he's talking about. This is happening one day soon. Okay? And it says that Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Those are the two kingdoms. We know that Israel, the ten tribes in the north, disappear. We don't know where they are. Well, you know what? God knows where they are. And on that day, he's going to tell everybody, you're from this tribe, you're from that tribe, you're from this tribe, you're from that tribe. The Lord knows where they are, even if they don't themselves. So that's what we see that those, no angel, no man, will have this God-ordained privilege of ruling the messianic kingdom. Only the Son of God. So we see that He is, so far, we have seen two things here. 
in this section. First of all, that um, he's superior to the angels because his name, because of his name and inheritance, and he's superior to the angels because of his uniqueness as the Son of God. And thirdly, because they are commanded, the angels are commanded to worship him as deity, as God. Verse 6 of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Look at verse 6. And you can show that to anybody who doubts his deity, that verse there. Look what God says to the angels. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Who says that? The Father. Don't say God, because we have to differentiate the persons. The Father. Because Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Amen? All right. So, the Father is saying that to the angels. Worship him. Who are they supposed to worship? The Son. Now, if the Son was not God... The Father is telling the angels to commit idolatry. Think about that. But because He is God, it is perfectly right and necessary to worship Him. He should be the object of our worship. So here we have the third quotation. Now this quotation, let all the angels of God worship him, it's a quotation from either Deuteronomy 32:43 or Psalm 97 verse 7 from the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, the translation of the Old Testament into Greek. When they translated, they used those words. Both times it says angels, not gods or sons as some translators use. When he again brings the firstborn into the world, talks about, either, uh, to, to, talks either about when he came into the world in his incarnation or when he will be coming back at his second coming to judge the world. In either case, the angels are commanded by God the Father to worship him. They did so when he came the first time and will do it again when he comes back in judgment. This provides another proof of his deity. The angels are commanded to worship him, which shows that he is God. For the Father would not command anyone to worship a mere creature. Firstborn is a messianic term used in Psalm 89:27. If you open to Psalm 89 and verse 27, Also, I will make my firstborn, also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. I will make him my firstborn. And it is used a few times in the New Testament. It expresses his priority to and preeminence over creation. Not in the sense of being the first to be born, but in the sense of being the heir of creation. It is used of superiority of position in the Old Testament. Therefore, the Son is the firstborn before all creation. And in reference to His resurrection also, 
and his position in relationship to the church and also in reference to his second coming. It involves his pre-existence and priority. Now, I know this is a little deep, but firstborn means it refers to his pre-existence and also to his priority. He is first in everything, in everything. So always remember that and keep it in perspective, in the right perspective. This first chapter of Hebrews is an amazing portion of Scripture. Okay? It, it, it just shows us, it presents us, this, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, in all the fullness of His glory, His position, His work, His person. Uh, it's just amazing. I challenge you to read, to continue reading the first chapter of Hebrews. Okay, and remember, you have to read the first chapter of Hebrews and also read Psalm 2. So you are more familiarized with these scriptures when we, you come to church to hear this series. And this morning, we're going to stop here in the, this uh, point, at this point, in, at the end of verse 6. Because we also this morning have to take, partake of the Lord's Supper. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.